Welcome to the Fro Daddy Chronicles. I am the Fro Daddy, and I'm grateful to have you here with us. This week's Fro Daddy Fatherly Advice. Never take advice from someone who isn't where you want to be, or someone who hasn't done the thing they're giving you advice on. Today we are learning how a good plan changes everything. The definition of a plan is a detailed proposal for doing or achieving something, an intention or decision about what one is going to do, a detailed map or diagram. You see, some of us plan for everything, even how you relax or vacation. Some of us fly by the seat of our pants and just see what sticks. One thing I can say without a doubt is if there's an objective, then planning is one of the best things you can do to secure its completion. I may not plan a vacation, but if it's really important to me to see and do things while on that vacation, then I know I would have such a bad chance of getting those things done because I'm just too passive when it comes to going with the flow. I mean, I could just chill in one spot the entire trip. Not that that's what I came to do. I just wouldn't have any problems doing it. Many of us have worked for companies that <laughs> felt like they had no plan or they legitimately did not have a plan. I know it was one of the most destructive things I've seen for the people involved in it. Plans may not inherently be essential, but the effects of having or not having one bring it to a mission critical status. You can probably start to see a pattern here. After all, I've sat down and planned out the curriculum of these episodes. There's a flow happening here. A plan starts with a goal. The goal from a vision, the vision from passion, and the passion from your calling. Maybe you're an avid planner. Maybe you love the idea of letting things come to you. Let me take this opportunity to teach you what a good plan looks like and why you may want to change your mind if you take a passive approach in life. Plans are a living strategy, an application of logic to the phantasmal, a bridge from today to the horizon. I like to treat them as more of a floating bridge. For example, just as our goals are capable of adaptation, so are our plans. So while the structure of the bridge doesn't change, it rises and falls with the tides. We approach this the same way we do our goals. Feedback being a critical component, meaning post-planning can be even more important than the original plan itself. Plans are the skeleton of our achievements. A foundational structure that grows, heals, and produces the red blood cells to fuel the oxygenation of the body. Once we have defined a goal, the plan breaks down a step-by-step -step approach towards its completion. If I want my retail store to sell $10,000 more this month, what activity can I complete to realize that goal? It could be cold calling, advertisements, follow-ups, collaborations, new products, sale pricing. I could go on and on about the ways to sell more, but the plan determines the methodology that best fits our own situation. Let's continue with our example of a retail store, and we can cover a few others as well. If I own a retail operation, then cold calling is more or less out of the window. 
There are many ways to increase retail sales, but let's look at this foundationally, as we do with our other examples. More customers, marketing, a better assortment, product selection, better pricing. You know, maybe it's, you know, vetting out your competition, or maybe it's just, if, if you've got a blue chip brand, and all of a sudden you can get it for less than full price, I mean, that's a no-brainer for a lot of people, depending on what sector of retail we're in. If it's an item with a very long shelf life, you've probably got some people surfing the web for the best price on it, because they know that they trust the brand, right? So maybe the pricing is, is where we can and pump up our sales. So now we can determine which of those or how many of those we can include in our budget. So which are the most cost effective between marketing, product selection, and pricing? How much is a new customer worth? What, what's the market? Well, that's more like, you know, if we're going to market, how many people can we expect to bring in per dollar we spend? You know, what's our cost per click? Where does the click take them? Are they making a Are they making a purchase after they make that click? Is it just taking them to our site? Right? There's a lot. There's a lot to this. But how much is that new customer worth when we when we when they close? Right? How much does that net us? So how much can we afford to invest towards that marketing budget? What's the market share? We don't have access to with our current assortment. Right? If we're looking at product selection, you know, what are we missing out on? Is is are there competitors that have a certain you know, category that we don't that we don't reach. You know, maybe just broadening our footprint will increase the sales to 10k by 10k, right? And getting into the pricing, you know, what what's our current margin? How much more do we need to sell to justify a sale? If I if I lower my margin from 40% to 20%, I have to sell twice as much to net the same amount that I would for one sale. Right? I have to sell two for one now. That's is my sale gonna double my sales? It's gotta go beyond. I've got to not only double my sales for this to be worth my time, right? Because it's also gonna increase overhead realistically, whether it's if I'm doing drop shipping, probably not, right? But if I own a retail operation, to me that sounds pretty brick and mortar. And this is where you can really see painting this picture, okay, what what do I have? What am I working with? What tools, what levers can I pull, right? What tools can I use? What are the goals here? Okay, you're seeing how we're structuring this plan, right? We have to quantify this as much as we can. It's going to take great data to make a retail operation successful. Consumer trends are easily the most valuable thing you can understand and really the only thing that can give you an accurate picture of your consumer trends is your data. Right? So while we're in business, we need to be documenting our data. We need to be able to track our sales. It's not just about, you know, generating revenue, it's about tracking, you know, how much what can you track? Are we looking at zip codes? You know, how what do you have a right to track? You know, you got to give your customer privacy as well. So there's a lot of things we juggle here, and that's why owning a business is the best way to make money, because it's no joke, guys. Hopefully that helped you to understand our approach to achieving our goals. Let's do another example. Let's say I want to increase my real estate portfolio cash flow 
by $2,000 a month in the next 12 months. Bypassing the intricate criteria of property selection, which we'll get into on future episodes when we cover real estate, but for the sake of simplicity and keeping the focus on planning, let's say we have our strategy determined as far as what type of properties we're purchasing. What's the average cash flow of a property in our price range and location, our asset class, right? How many properties do we need to hit 2K bonus cash flow per month with that average? How long does the purchasing cycle take until cash flows, right? Are we, are we buying, rehabbing, then renting, right? Or are we just straight buying and renting? Are we buying already done houses, which is fine too. You're going to have less, um, less cash flow, right? You'll really maximize the cash flow if you do the buy and rehab and rent method. And then if you even want to take it a step further with the, with the buy, rehab, rent, I think right now it's a 12-month waiting period, but it really just depends on what lender you're using. You can shop lenders all day. And I've seen people doing three-month, six-month uh, refinancing offers. So if you're not familiar with the refinances, I don't want to really get off topic here. I want to keep the focus on planning. We are going to get into these strategies in later episodes, uh, for dialing into real estate and how to leverage knowledge to help you <laughs> right, increase cash flow, obviously, and also your gross net worth, which we can leverage in a lot of ways. But refinancing is effectively what it sounds like. You're going to a bank, maybe the same bank, maybe a different bank, and you're saying, or a lender in general, it doesn't have to be a bank, and saying, hey, I've got this property, I've got this loan, uh, here's the equity I have, and maybe you're just shopping for a better rate. Who knows, right? But what the point of it is in this strategy, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, some people call it the Burr strategy, is that let's say you put 50K into this property to close on it, uh, as your down payment, right? And including the closing, closing costs and all that stuff as well. Now, you know, three, six, 12 months later, you can refinance, do a cash out refinance, and you pull your money out of it, as well as any of the appreciation that you acquired with your rehab. So it's basically making your cash on cash return infinite. So you're never really, you're not keeping your money in a deal long term. So if you start with 50K, you know, in a year, you'll have that 50K back and you can do another deal, right? But right now we're figuring out a plan how we can increase our cash flow by 2000 a month in the next 12 months, okay? So to get back on track, sorry for getting off track topic here, but it's just something I'm super passionate about. It's a great way, great way to change your life is to get involved in real estate. But like I said before, refinancing allows us to roll capital from one deal to another. And, and like I said before as well, as of 2023, it's tough to find a commercial lender that's willing to offer refinancing before six or sometimes even 12 months. But like I said, depends on the lender. So don't take that with a grain of salt. Take that with a grain of salt. Okay. You can definitely do some shopping. Facebook groups is a great way to meet um, brokers. That's one of the greatest ways to get in touch with multiple lenders at once. But moving on, if we don't have the capital to accomplish the Burr method, there's still more solutions to this. We can still figure out how we can increase our cash flow by 2000 a month in the next year. There's more options. It's not just, oh, I have to have this much money to get into real estate. That's not true at all. It's not true at all. 
We can come up with creative financing solutions such as seller financing. Talk to an owner that owns their house outright or possibly maybe even has an assumable loan, which is just transferring a loan to yourself. It requires requalification, so you, you still have to have good credit. You can't just be you know a, a bum to a bank. They still have to approve you assuming the loan, right? But you get to keep their interest rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, let me find some people that bought a house three years ago. Buddy. I'm going to have to do that right now. Right, so we've got creative solutions. Promissory, promissory notes. Uh, it's a written intent to take over payments of the loan without necessarily transferring the original debt, but transferring the deed under the condition of payment. It's really helpful for a seller to reach a debt-to-income necessary for the next purchase. Uh, it's probably a distressed seller you'll find getting a lot of these creative financing strategies done with, so it's going to take a little legwork on your part. Um, another one of these creative financing strategies could be a lease agreement, basically just renting the property to control the asset and just rent it for more in the meantime. You know. So as we get further along into these qualifying questions, we're quantifying what does two thousand a month really look like. Maybe it's ten properties that fit our criteria. We'll net two hundred dollars a month in cash flow. It's going to require X amount of starting capital if I'm using these purchasing strategies, X amount if I'm using those purchasing strategies, right? Which fits my, which boat am I going to float? Then this, maybe I have another sect, five properties that fits this different criteria, netting $400 a month in cash flow. And that's going to require a different amount of starting capital. You, you see, even if you, even if you're choosing creative financing options, which could effectively mean purchasing a property with none or very little money down, you're probably still going to want to do some maintenance or rehab work before you're renting, really just to increase the rates, the rent, the rental rates, the rental, the rent, 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 or just to get equity into your deals to leverage later on. You know, you can take it, you can go to a bank and say, hey, I've got 100K equity in this home, I would like to open a line of credit against this equity. It's called a home equity line of credit. Bam. Now you got 50K. It's not even yours, right? You get 50K just like that. Now you got another two houses or whatever 50K gets you with your per specific purchasing strategy, right? You can actually finance a rehab as well. So, but even a hard money lender is going to want you to put some money down to have some skin in the game with them. They don't just want to, you know, give you 40k for a rehab with nothing so it's just generally unlikely that you can magically assume mortgages and cash flow by charging more to rent that property people do it i don't advise it there's a gap of opportunity and equity you're missing if you do while also exposing yourself to higher risks with repair costs and vacancy right that i'm just telling you you probably want to be getting into something that you're going to rehab one way or another you're going to increase the sexiness of this property somehow unless you want to be a slumlord that's that's totally a thing you can you can really see how planning brings our goals into reality did you set an accurate timeline if you can't refinance more than every six months are you willing to build a pipeline of deals large enough to hit 2k can you just find one property that cash flows 2k or create one right now we have a project where we're converting a single family home into a triplex and without three units the deal doesn't cash flow with three units, 
cash flows very handsomely at a competitive market rent. Creativity always wins in business. We're shedding so much light on the power of planning right now, it's insane. I mean, we just scratched the surface on that, re- the, on that real estate goal, and we were faced with like 50 different ways to achieve the end result. Which one fits your current situation? Can you come up with an even better strategy? Let's do another example. I have a goal to lose 20 pounds in three months. Firstly, I would encourage a better placement of a fitness goal. Weight is an incredibly misleading stat that is useful as a secondary check and balance, not a primary goal. You could start drinking water and gain weight because you were dehydrated, then burn more fat because your cells have access to to hydrogen and more of your mitochondria can be active and happy, right? I mean, just weight is not the sauce, okay? I'll get off my soapbox. I'll get off my soapbox. No promises I don't get back on it. You know what? No. We're changing the goal to a completely better one. I have a goal of decreasing my body fat percentage to 15%. Let's say currently I'm at 20%. Let's say we're 165 pounds. 5% 5 of 165 pounds is 8.25 pounds of fat. Right? So the 5% I got was from decreasing my body fat percentage from 20 to 15. There are 3,500 calories in a pound of fat. You see how I'm trying to quantify everything? 3,500 calories times 8.25 pounds equals 28,875 calories. If I want to do this over three months, which will be 90 days, give or take, that is a 320 calorie deficit per day to achieve my goal. That is why I freaking love fitness. You mean you could drop your body fat 5% in 90 days with a less than 20% change in intake based on a 20 based on a 2000 2000% maintenance calorie diet, you know, the recommended whatever. That's not even considering any exercise adjustments. Uh, how much does that motivate you if you have got a weight loss goal? Oh, it's really that simple? Yes, it is. There's 3500 calories in a pound of fat. Do some math. Do some math. You know? Do some math. Just get creative with it and let it excite you. Let's do this. All right. So so by now, we understand the big picture of what's happening when we take time to plan our goals. We generate so many options that it allows us to be strategic in execution. Let's recap. Because we haven't really been able to produce a secret sauce here. There's no cookie-cutter approach if we as we've had in our previous episodes. Let's see if we can come up with what will be applicable in almost every scenario. We start with our goal. We quantify the goal with levers or tools that you can access, calculate, or manipulate. What levers can we pull to affect change? How much does it cost to pull a lever? What levers have the most impact on what? Determine what aligns with your current needs. Is it minimizing cost? Is it maximizing results? Is it minimizing risk? Is it maximizing time? Is it minimizing effort? Create a written structure. Considering the aforementioned. Create the most effective commitment to goal completion. I like to be mindful of what my resources are and be mindful of their consumption, namely my time. I could create a plan that consumes 100% of my free time. That doesn't sound very sustainable for a married father to me. That being said, I'll create a plan that requires an amount of my time that I'm willing to commit for the result. 
like creating a podcast to help my fro babies live the life they deserve. Spacing out my allocations of time to a commitment that I am comfortable with, which right now is one episode a week. Now, we're into arguably the most critical portions of the plan. Execution and alteration. Same as we've done in the previous episode, goal setting. We remain extremely consistent to minimize variability so that the dynamics of our plan are more like constants. That way, we're able to distinguish what affects what and adjust them accordingly. Always trust your plan. It will feel like you can make adjustments in the moment. Do not do that before you have tangible feedback that is replicable. It's possible to make mistakes in planning, but if you took the time to put together a solid plan, trust yourself and commit a certain amount of time towards it. Maybe you set a three-month goal and created a plan that you're fine-tuning. I wouldn't recommend making formal adjustments until at least one month has passed. Obviously, I'm making generalized blanket statements, which can't tailor fit every scenario, but it would be detrimental to your success to restructure the fundamentals of your plan. Remember the floating bridge. It holds its integrity, even though it can adjust to the height of the water as well. I encourage committing a specific amount of time to your initial plan before you change anything. Not to say you can't continue perfecting your plan, I'm more speaking about changing strategies when I'm speaking on all of this. As far as results you can expect from this, you can expect a surge of motivation coursing through you as you create your plan, putting together the puzzle pieces of achieving your dreams. You can expect a clearer picture of what the life of your dreams looks like, what it will require of you if you truly desire it. You can expect resistance. Happy to greet you as it always will be. It won't fight your planning phase. It'll be there right when you said you would start. You created a master plan that you're gonna implement Monday. But that surge of motivation you felt creating the plan is quickly changing into the realization that you just committed the rest of your life to being a better version of yourself. That's scary stuff. No more ignorance to the fact that you can be better. Do more. Now replaced by a responsibility to become the version of yourself that lives your dream. Not only lives it, but builds it to be lived. Once you've completed your committed amount of time to your plan, look where it brought you. Did you reach your goal? What did you learn? What was critical to the success or failure in the execution of your plan? Knowing what you know now, as likely a completely redeveloped version of yourself, what will you do the same? What will you do differently next time? You're on your way to becoming the person who lives your dream. Thank you for joining us. This has been episode number four of the Fro Daddy Chronicles. Creating a plan. This is Fro Daddy, signing off.
Thank you. 